we have seen the emergence of what I call modern Internet of Things. It is rich in data. It can bring in location. It's really the connectivity piece and the data aggregation piece that is usually missing in the infrastructure right now in the market. If you have a large farm, you know, the wireless connectivity is not going to carry out. This is the Industrial IoT Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration, only on market scale. Network looks stable. Let's connect. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Industrial IoT Show, brought to you by MarketScale. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and it's great to be here on a bright, beautiful morning, bringing you some awesome industrial IoT content. Today's episode is called Connecting Rural America, and really in this episode, we're going to be exploring the surprising challenges that still loom over farmers, ranchers, and growers, as well as look at the technology that is helping take them to new heights. So yeah, the agricultural world is utilizing IoT in really, really powerful ways. But in in some senses, they haven't really been able to fully access that potential because because of some connectivity issues. And net farm income is waveringly low in 2018. It's not a total low, but it's at 65 billion net for 2018, which sounds high, but is actually the third lowest number over the last decade. So farmers are always looking for innovation to cut costs and improve efficiency. And IoT is really helping do this. So in today's show, we're going to hear from Darcy Pollock, VP of Agriculture for weather data company Understory, to help explain the eco-friendly and economically friendly impact IoT has already had on the agricultural sector. We're also going to hear from Pete Denegi, president and co-founder of Internet of Things America, He sheds some light on the lack of sensor connectivity that's still keeping many rural growers from taking command of this expanding technology. All right, so I'm looking forward to this episode. It's going to be a good one. All right, so today we're actually joined in the studio by the one and only Jeffrey Short. Jeffrey is the editor of B2B Digital Media here at MarketScale. He and I are sort of a pretty powerful team. Uh, he does the written content. I do the podcast content, and together we create some really slamming original content on Market Scale. So, Jeff, how are you doing today? I'm doing awesome. It's great to finally be in here, uh, crossing over into the world of podcasting. Um, finally coming full circle. I feel like with our uh, our content team here. So uh, I agree. Be happier to be in here. Well, you know, I, I feel like you still need to source me for some written content. So if I can, <laughs> if I finally find time in the day or something. <laughs> Get me writing an op-ed. Who knows? Yeah, you now have the leg up on me. So you have all <laughs> right. the leverage here. Yeah, so exactly. I'm the guest of honor here. I got to find a way to get you involved. Yep, I love it. Well, Jeff, it's good to have you here. And for our people listening, Jeff uh, here at Market Scale is really in charge of all of our written content in our industry as he oversees the production of it, the QC, making sure that um, our writers have great stories and great contacts. So he's integrated in all of our industries, which include IoT. So since you've been producing content for IoT, what have been a couple things that you've seen that that have really piqued your interest as uh, either trends in the industry, maybe some cool people in the industry we've sourced? Yeah, well, I mean, 
starting out here, um, I was not originally covering IoT, so it wasn't something that was actually on my radar that much uh, over the first couple of months of right. our coverage. But um, what I really noticed pretty quickly is that it actually is so all-encompassing, and that's what I think is so exciting about it, is that you can really find a story or a development in technology within IoT that is in every single one of the industries that we cover here and really any industry and in, in any business in any industry uh, that you can really imagine. So I know one of the articles that we're going to get into here shortly, but uh, that was on our site um, recently was IoT and retail. And I think that is something that a lot of people probably know IoT from with things like Amazon Go, these sure. automated stores and really just connectivity um, and streamlining a lot of different processes in different industries. So whether that's in retail, like those Amazon Go stores, or obviously self-driving cars is going to be a huge thing. But not only self-driving cars and the technology that's going to enable them to be self-driving, mm -hmm. but what are cities going to do to make sure that roads stay safe, that traffic flows correctly, right. you know, all these sensors and all these different data points that they're collecting, uh, the communication that needs to be involved there. So I think it is so broad, and I know that might not be the best answer as no, far as I mean, things that pique my interest, but it really is everywhere. And I think um, things like that um, are going to really be key to the future of, of how we live. So yeah. um, that's what's exciting to me. I mean, that's what I love about IoT too is uh, I think that's both its blessing and its curse that it is everywhere because you can see its impact in basically any industry. I mean, every industry is moving toward interconnected devices, being able to access a plethora of data from different machinery, from different services, different professionals, and compiling that into actionable results. Like, that's wonderful. But then, kind of your example on smart cities and then adapting that smart city, uh, having all this data, then if you don't do something with that data, then you're almost wasting your time compiling it. And sometimes the best move forward with all this data means redesigning on the streets in your city or means redesigning your hospital layout or your entire store process. And so that can be kind of daunting. It's a, it's a technology that's really going to create an upheaval in a lot of different industries. At least that's what I've seen. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, coming up next week, we have a story that's going to take a little bit of a deep dive into the future of airports. Um, and so I think that's something, for example, and it might not entirely be IoT-based, but definitely some of those IoT technologies or spheres of influence, I guess, are going to have an impact in that process. I think people are realizing as IoT becomes more prevalent, you know, are we doing certain things in the most efficient manner? Yeah. So, I mean, I think people kind of realize airports, at least in America a lot of time, <laughs> Aren't, are, not, are that are efficient, not that efficient, yeah. right? So are we going to – but that – like you alluded to, what are the challenges going to be um, in terms of solving these problems? So yeah. are we going to have to tear down airports and start from scratch? Are they fundamentally not designed for the modern world? Mm -hmm. you know, so what does that look like? Are we going to have to amend all these things on the fly? Um, and then, you know, where does IoT really play a role in those processes? So, right. you know, is it facial recognition or just the data points of when people are entering the airport, what is the average wait time, where are they waiting, where are they staying when they're through to their gate. So there's different things that obviously we're going to have to just kind of figure out. And I don't know if anyone really has the answer to that. but yeah. um, And that's just one example. So that's one industry. I mean, we already talked about retail and right. you know, transportation is big. So 
we alluded to the automated car, like self-driving trucks for shipping. What does that mean even hmm. as a social cost? Are they going to replace all truck drivers or you know, what do they do? So there definitely is sort of a bit of a Pandora's box, I think. Um, we don't really know the answers to a lot of these questions yet, but... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, people are still trying to figure out how best to integrate it into their system. We haven't really had time to see the full-scale impact of living in a world that is this automated or this integrated. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty incredible. So bringing it back real quick just to that retail story that was on our site, uh, I think some of the technology that really stood out to me were the connected sensors that helped manage shelf inventory um, and increase product availability. For shoppers, I think that sort of menial task, right, of having to manually check the shelves of how many products are on here, how much do we have in back stock, um, is it time to restock, that process takes up a lot of manpower that could be spent in the retail industry on human connection, which is something that we've talked a lot about on our retail podcast. The whole industry is really evolving more toward hospitality, honestly, creating that great experience for the shopper. And I think uh, the employees are probably going to find more fulfilling work in that than stocking shelves. So I think on a basic level, seeing IoT sort of re-empower the human element of the workforce instead of replace it, I think is where people should focus um, how to use that technology. Just because I think it's the least controversial and it honestly might be might be the most beneficial. Yeah, no, I think you made a really good point. I mean, people do have concerns and probably rightly so that, okay, if you know there's no longer a need for cashiers and I'm a cashier, what do I do? But right. I think it actually could ultimately end up providing a new opportunity. And I think that is going to be a part of it. I mean, people have to figure out, okay, we do have these people and we don't necessarily want to just cut our entire labor force, even if it might save money or something like that. But people, shoppers, they still want a human connection at some point, at some level, they want that human interactivity. And I think maybe getting people outside of a you know cashier aisle and into a store where they can really help people, that actually might end up being a more beneficial role for that employee and also yeah. the shopper. Um, and you also did allude to those, um, yeah, those shelves that are you know, automated so that people know um, when they need to be restocked. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people, and they probably get this from sort of like the ads for the Amazon Go stores. I think of this technology as really customer centric, and it is to a degree. Obviously, if you're able to just walk out of a store with a product and it's scanned for you and you don't have to check out and it goes directly to your credit card or your Amazon Prime account, that's a really convenient thing for shoppers. But I think this technology, especially where we're focusing on sort of these B2B angles, it's so beneficial for the actual management of these operations. So obviously knowing if you need something restocked on a moment's notice, you can save, you know, obviously your own time and be more efficient with it. And you don't run the risk of that. Even that one customer that goes to that shelf and it's not stocked and they skip out on a purchase. Right. Who knows how much money you're going to save by just being on top of the ball. And maybe we get to the point where you don't even need to send a, you know, employee over there. You have a robot that can do right. it or something. But um, I think, like I said, people definitely think of this um, as a customer-centric sort of technology. It's going to make the shopping experience, the dining experience, the travel experience better and more streamlined. And it is, but for business managers, owners, it's also going to be, 
you know, massive for them. So. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's going to cut costs in ways I don't think people have totally understood yet. So, yeah. Well, Jeff, thanks so much for coming in the studio, giving your take on this. I always love working with you. Uh, we need to get you in here more often. <laughs> but, yeah, we'll keep an eye out for some upcoming IoT stories on our webpage, and we'll make sure to cite those on the website, on the podcast. So, yeah, thanks again for coming in. Absolutely. Looking forward to the next time, and uh, I'll try to send you a task for a written assignment. We'll Ooh. get on that. So. <laughs> a, a, a curse, a blessing. <laughs> Who knows what it is at this point? Okay. Thanks, man. Awesome. Thanks. All right. So for our first feature on the IoT podcast show, we are exploring the concept of connecting the unconnected. That's the motto Pete Donaghy, president and co-founder of Internet of Things America, lives by every day. Denegi manages industrial IoT solutions for ranchers, farmers, growers, small towns, and really any type of small town application. He says most people in rural America these days have some sort of connectivity to the farmhouse or to the ranch, but that doesn't extend to the field. He joined us on our podcast earlier this year and spoke with MarketScale podcast host Elmer Guardado, exploring why connectivity is still lacking in rural America, a market that's thriving off of IoT devices. The biggest obstacle remains that cellular carriers focus on mobile phones instead of sensor data, a much less profitable market. It doesn't help that agriculture thrives in the most isolated places. Denegi said they're architecting it for the road or close proximity to the road, but if you have a large farm, the wireless connectivity just doesn't carry that far out. He gives us more context as to how his company is looking to solve the issue of bringing IoT to all of America. So let's just start at ground level. Why don't you tell us a little bit about IoT America and what you do there? Great. So Internet of Things America is a managed service provider for rural America. So what we are doing is we are managing Internet of Things solutions for farmers, for ranchers, for growers, for small towns, and any type of rural application, including oil and gas. Um, we are standing up um, networks to connect the unconnected, or we are going and working with rural broadband carriers and rural cellular carriers to extend network coverage and provide connectivity where it's usually lacking. So most people in rural America these days have some sort of connectivity to the farmhouse, to the ranch. However, it doesn't extend to the field. And our value proposition is to help farmers, growers, ranchers extend connectivity to the field so they can improve productivity, yields, and integrity of the crops and or the herds that they're working. Right. So can you try and contextualize this issue for us a little bit? Why is this something that needs to be targeted? You know, that's a great question. So the Internet of Things, of course, is all about taking sensor data, moving it through the network into the cloud so that the data can become actionable. And then from an actionable perspective, 
we can look at historic, current, and predictive future trends to make whatever you're doing work better. If you look at industrial IoT, they've been doing this for quite a while. On the manufacturing line, they now look at, you know, duty records, service records, production logs um, to see how lines work, how they're improved, and how they can do maintenance schema. Well, the same type of technology can be very valuable for farming and ranching applications. The problem at hand is, while you have maybe connectivity to the farmhouse via fiber or DSL through rural broadband carriers, or maybe you live close enough to an iRoad um, and you have you know, 4G or 3G connectivity to the farmhouse, very rarely does the connectivity extend throughout the 10,000 acre field. And you need to have sensor connectivity to the back part of the field, the central part of the field, and the front part of the field. And the same, of course, with a ranch um, to make sure and ensure that you have you know, good utilization. So we are working to solve those connectivity issues. And what, what, so far, what have you found are some of the biggest obstacles to solving some of these issues? Well, so the biggest obstacles right now that are in rural America is, is that cellular carriers, you know, build LTE infrastructure, you know, to go forward and, and drive revenue predominantly on smartphones, right? So they build the network to go and to, to you know, attract users with you know, iPhones, Samsung Galaxy, you know, GS7s, or whatever type of device they might have. Well, sensor data and sensor connectivity is very low revenue for a wireless carrier. So when they architect their LTE infrastructure builds, they're architecting it for the road and, and the close, close proximity to the road, right? Which would include, you know, let's say the residents. Well, if you have a large farm, you know, the wireless connectivity is not going to carry out. And the problem becomes intensified as you go west of the Mississippi River. When you start looking at where crops are grown in America, where herds are tended in America, you typically go where, the, where it's generally unpopulated. 40% of American land mass has very suspect cellular coverage. And what we look to do is take the infrastructure that's available today and extend it so we can go and have sensors in the field. So going back to the connectivity issues in rural America, what about that is important to you, I guess? Why, why do you think it's a problem that needs solving outside of the, the obvious lack of, of connectivity some of these locations have, but how does this affect people's daily lives or, or, or routines in these rural environments? So this is probably the most impactful, least serviced element of industrial IoT in America. So right now, um, the there are uh, fewer farmers than there ever have been before. There are fewer acres of land being farmed than at any time in American history. Um, the average age of the American farmer is increasing. Yet the, in, the, in, the indigent population 
has just hit 315 million people in the United States, and that's not nearly growing at the pace as it is worldwide. Worldwide, there are 7.1 million people in the world. By 2050, I mean billion people. By 2050, there'll be 9 billion people in the world. We have less farmland available. We have fewer natural resources. And yet we have to feed more people. The only way to do that is to drive efficiency. Um, when I go, to, when you talk about resources, 70% of all water used in the United States goes to agriculture. Okay. And it is not something we make more of. It's a renewable resource, no doubt. But if we can use it more efficiently and more efficiently, we can go forward and, and deliver better value, better use, and better crops. One of the big problems with crops right now is waste. By using IoT, we can go forward and minimize the waste. We can enable the supply chain. And quite candidly, we can certainly um, invigorate farm-to-table utilization, both for organic and, you know, um, chemically grown crops, right? Uh, we can go forward and track, you know, you know your your meat supply, um, so that when you know you know where where your um, herd was born, how your herd ate, where your form herd was processed, and how that was delivered to your supermarket, so you can actually get a really good track of the quality of the sustenance that you're ingesting. And we think these are things that IoT can absolutely uh, deliver. And the only way to do that is to have sensors in the field. And the only way needed to do that is to extend the range. And that's what's important. So Pete, I got one more question for you. Hmm? As a leader in this industry, what do you see on the horizon? What do you think we have to look forward to? How much progress have we done so far and how much is left to do? So the good news is that low-powered wide-area network technology has been, you know, is being deployed. And that's one of the things that we're using. So we can actually put low-cost gateways in strategic locations in rural America. And by the deployment of one gateway, we can actually provide connectivity to up to 20,000 sensors over 75,000 acres. And we can do this at a fraction of the cost of LT. So the progress is, is very important. The progress is very exciting. And the, and the interest is exceptionally high. You know, we have, we have opportunities right now where, you know, states and have come to us and said, can you provide connectivity networks for the 48 rural counties of our state? We have uh, opportunities where Dairies have said, can you provide, you know, sensor tags for my 100,000 cows? Can you provide them for my, you know, my swine herd? You know, um, the adoption and, and the ingestion is, is just starting, and it looks very promising, but we're still in early days. And um, one of the reasons why we're in early days is that before the low-powered wide area network technology really became standardized, in the 2000, 2015, 2016 timeframe, there was no solution. Now there are. And when I mean solutions, clearly you can build an LTE tower, LTE tower infrastructure for a million dollars 
and provide a solution. But the cell companies don't get an ROI for that. Right. We're using low-powered wide area network technology. You can do that. You can do that same build for way less than you know, you know, a hundredth of that cost. And that's what makes it cost effective. Well, thank you so much for sitting down with us today, Pete. Appreciate your time. Oh, thank you very much. We're very interested. And, um, you know, if uh, you'd like to learn more, you know, by all means, look at our website at www.iot-americas.com. And we'd be happy to help you out and talk to anybody who'd like. Awesome. Thank you so much, Pete. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, you can go to marketscale.com slash industries and subscribe to articles, podcasts, and video content for your favorite industries. I'm your host, Elmer Guardado. Have a good day. Really enjoyed that piece by Elmer. I think he nailed that interview and really got some awesome content out of Pete. Uh, Really just hearing that rural America still doesn't have this ubiquitous connectivity, especially when, I mean, they run on tight budgets. This technology could really revolutionize how they proceed toward a more sustainable future. It's rather frustrating that this is still an issue. So always good to get this kind of insight. All right, time to dig into some industry news brought to you by MarketScale, including a little analysis on Industry 4.0 and why it's important for all your machinery to be speaking the same data language. All right, let's dive in. These are your IoT News Minutes brought to you by MarketScale. Our first story, Volvo and Ericsson enter five-year deal. Volvo Cars and Ericsson have signed a five-year connected vehicle deal. Ericsson will provide its connected vehicle cloud platform to Volvo Cars, boosting the automaker's digital vehicle services across the globe for the next five years. As digitalization expands, the automaker hopes to focus more on securing high-quality connected vehicle services. Per this deal, Volvo car owners will now be able to use digital services such as automation and navigation. Asa Tamsons, spokesperson for Ericsson, said Ericsson is providing a highly scalable and global platform for connected services to Volvo cars. By removing complexity in areas such as data legislation and storage management and improving services latency, our platform enhances the overall user experience of Volvo cars connected services. End quote. Our next story comes from Finland. 5G robot coming to Helsinki Airport. Telia's first 5G customer will be Helsinki Airport in Finland. Chief Digital Officer of Finavia explains that, quote, The robot can deliver real-time video streams from terminals and enable, for example, monitoring the terminal area through remote or autonomous control, and see that everything is running as it should. The robot can also guide passengers in the terminal, and we aim to try to find different use cases during the project, end quote. Jane Koistensen, 5G program director of Talia Finland, added that, quote, 5G will start with enterprise customers, especially for industrial automation and remote control. The low latency connection and massive capacity of 5G will serve the airport well with its masses of passengers and data and with the focus on security and fluency of services, end quote. 
Robots have entered transport hubs before, like Pepper, the IBM Watson-powered entertainment robot in London's St. Pancras Station. However, the robot at Helsinki Airport will focus on transmitting data over a 5G network to offer a wireless network for covering the airport. The 5G connectivity will feature the high data rate needed to stream real-time, high-quality video monitoring. And your final IoT News Minute. Simons showcases new solutions and future technologies. Simons presented a range of sector-specific solutions and future technologies to enable, quote, the digital transformation of today's discrete and process industries at the SPSIPC Drives 2018. For context, SPSIPC Drives is one of the largest international exhibitions for electric automation technology. In 2018, it took place in Germany. In hopes of boosting flexibility, efficiency, quality, and security, Simons focused on new products, services, and solutions from their digital enterprise portfolio designed to foster physical and digital convergence. Some examples of the kinds of solutions and future technologies they showcase include, quote, a machine used for the quality inspection of bottles, which will be illustrating ways in which the digital enterprise can be implemented in the machine building sector. Simons also showcased a range of new features for its cloud-based IoT operating system, MindSphere, from visualization through data analysis to edge computing functions. For specific breakdowns on all the things they showcased, visit the Simons website. My name is Elmer Guardado, and these have been your IoT News Minutes, brought to you by MarketScale. Today's news analysis takes a look at the implementation of Industry 4.0. Cyber-physical systems are becoming the new standard in manufacturing as automated machinery is retrofitted to communicate on a network. The biggest benefit of Industry 4.0 is the trend toward unsiloing data. However, this won't do anyone any good if the data sets aren't uniform. Willem Sundblad said it best in his article on Smart Industry. To succeed in this next wave of manufacturing, data has to be interpretive, accessible, and all in one place. We invited John Clayman, sales representative for IntelliFinishing and marketing supervisor for Casa Controls, on the podcast to get some first-person insight on Sundblad's article and what will enable Industry 4.0 to prosper. For Clayman, the future lies in open-source technology. Clayman, with more than 20 years of experience in data and analytics marketing research, knows how powerful accessible information is for success. With the abundance of data powering Industry 4.0, Clayman said the tide turns to those who have the skills to identify the important information and translate that information into recommendations that decision makers can use. All right, so to provide some context for this story, we brought John Clayman on the podcast. He is sales representative for IntelliFinishing and marketing supervisor for Casa Companies. John, great to have you on here. How are you doing today? Doing great, Daniel. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks so much for blocking out some time to give us some expert analysis, really, on this great article from Smart Industry, really the idea of a factory speaking the same data language and avoiding linguistic chaos. That is definitely pretty essential, especially as IoT continues to evolve and we start pushing into Industry 4.0. So tell me a little bit about what you thought of this article and some takeaways that you had. Yeah, I, I agreed with the article completely. Um, I think that uh, we are increasingly seeing customers or potential customers coming to us um, asking for 
uh, our capabilities with with what uh, whatever uh, industrial platform they may have decided to use. Uh, and obviously, some of those platforms were completely comfortable with uh, and work in all the time, and, and others maybe not so much. Uh, but I do think it is a trend, and I think that there are a lot of uh, companies act out there, um, industrial automation uh, type companies and software systems that uh, are making it increasingly easier for for companies to standardize. A lot of the industrial software providers, whether it's the big uh, providers like Allen Bradley or Siemens or, or um, less well-known or established uh, software, industrial software providers, uh, for example, Wonderware or maybe um, inductive automations uh, platform called Ignition. The, the trend I'm seeing or sensing is that uh, companies are looking to these providers to help uh, standardize their um, chaos, let's say, uh, on the plant floor and to use those systems to uh, communicate across their organization or across multiple locations. And so we are seeing that as something that uh, has been coming up with a number of our clients. And how accessible is it right now for, let's say, just a client of yours to introduce Industry 4.0 to their factory, to really have their existing equipment be upgraded and updated to be able to communicate with itself and uh, for them to then access that data in real time? Is that is that very accessible or is that still being developed and sort of what are the uh, roadblocks that are still in place? Well, I think it's uh, relatively well, I think it's accessible, but I think it's, uh, you have to uh, evaluate the various software options that can help you achieve this end. And then I think the, uh, I think the area that uh, the roadblocks uh, are just, um, it's, it's, for some, many companies, it's a little bit of a leap of faith. Uh, you know, if we do this, what will be the ultimate benefit for us? Uh, and um, I don't think there are enough examples out there of industries or uh, specific facilities that have gone down this path uh, who are able to communicate to the rest of the world what the benefits were for them. Uh, what I see is companies talk about this uh, a lot more than they actually um, pursue it. Uh, but I think that they're all aware it's it's the future, it's coming. Um, I, I just think that it's, uh, I think what this article points out is, is, is exactly one of the problems is that the, uh, the landscape is littered with a variety of software and operating systems and, uh, and how do you find a, a solution that works across all of those. And I think there are solutions out there, but they're not as well known as sort of the traditional and therefore I think to some companies it's a little risky. Uh, to to go with new ideas, new solutions, um, and really to pursue a huge grand concept as opposed to sort of uh, piloting uh, ideas at a much smaller level 
and then um, seeing how that works and then giving that time and then expanding upon that based on whatever that particular industrial software may be. Right, right. And then for Industry 4.0 to actually settle in and become as accessible as I think people want it to be, that means the technology has to remain relatively open source so that it can integrate with existing platforms or take machinery that isn't connected to IoT and upgrade it and, you know, connect it to a network. Is that where you're seeing things continuing to evolve in that open source market? Or do you think uh, black box solutions will sort of work their way back into Industry 4.0 eventually? Yeah, I'm, I'm certain that open source will help a great deal. I also think, though, that right now there are solutions out there uh, that that are a different paradigm from sort of the traditional systems um, in the way that they cost out their software. Um, and it allows for a lot more freedom so that you can have much more data uh, gathering, um, easier um, design of automated systems. Um, uh, it allows may allow for many more clients to view data than the traditional systems would have at the price points that they uh, typically are offered or uh, uh, unlimited connections to other database systems, um, you know, whether those are SQL or Oracle or or whatever. Um, so I think those systems really help um, pave the way for the, the flexibility to drive uh, IIoT and, um, and and certainly as far as I know they seem to be at the forefront of it to some extent and I think some of the traditional um, providers of industrial floor automation um, you know I think they're changing too uh, but uh, it's it's a slow process I'd say. All right. Well, thank you so much, John, for joining us on this podcast, giving us your insight on this. Uh, Definitely was fruitful, and I'm looking forward to seeing what the future of Industry 4.0 holds. Thank you very much, Daniel. Our second feature stays in rural America, but turns the attention to IoT in use. The budding market for IoT products and agriculture is keeping everyone interested, from investors to innovators. Business Insider claimed the market could more than double in size from 2015 to 2020, reaching 75 million device installations. With increased access to data and a push for connectivity and efficiency, the agricultural industry has already seen these benefits from this interconnected technology. Darcy Pollock, VP of Agriculture for Understory, a real-time weather data company that empowers farmers to monitor and improve crop yields, sees a sustainable agricultural future in IoT. His more than a decade of experience and passion in ag tech has shown Pollock how crucial innovative technology is for farmers on tight budgets and fragile ecosystems. He explains how IoT products are increasing yields and lowering costs and where technology fits into a world required to feed nearly 8 billion people and counting.
All right, Darcy, welcome to the podcast. Looking forward to getting your insight on IoT in agriculture. How are you doing today? Very well, Daniel. Thanks for having me on the show here today. Absolutely. Great to uh, have you as a featured guest. And before we jump in, I want to know a little bit more about how you made it to be the VP of Agriculture at Understory, um, you know, finding your way into an emerging technology like industrial IoT, but then specifically in that niche deliverable of the agricultural industry. Did you have any personal passions that drew you to that intersection of the food and beverage industry and IoT? I think anybody that's in agriculture certainly has a passion for it, whether your objective is trying to feed the world or trying to make the world a better place, whether it is for farmers to be able to more sustainably uh, participate in the industry and make sure their crops are getting to market, you know, or the underlying desire for the furtherment of science and technology. And certainly in this case, um, my interest has always been around uh, farming and, and genetics and one of the next steps in terms of being able to further that and increase for, uh, food production has a lot to do with IoT, understanding how big data is going to impact and facilitate the next generation of farming. So let's just start on sort of a broader history sense here. When did you personally start to see IoT products have an actual lasting impact on the agricultural industry? Uh, sensors for collecting weather data have been around for you know over a century. But really what we're talking about here is the facilitation of IoT and big data, the ability to collect data and information in different forms and start to layer it one upon the other from it, uh, looking at different variables and accumulate that in a way that is meaningful to especially farmers here is, is really the key. And so around 20 years ago, from my recollection, is when we started to not only be able to accumulate that data, but put it into form that was usable for whether it's other researchers, other farmers, and give them the, um, the ability or, or empower them to start being able to, frankly, just read and implement you know, what the suggestions were that were coming off of the generation of, of that data. So what environmental issues are plaguing the agricultural industry specifically, um, and how could that possibly be solved by industrial IoT in the space? Well, Daniel, let me talk about it maybe less in terms of it being sort of an issue per se or issues per se. And, and really what has come to light with farming is this desire to increase the level of sustainability. And that both goes, if you're a farmer, you want both economically to have a more sustainable operation uh, but you also want to be there in terms of impact on the land. So you want to have your farmland available for the next generation. And so you start mixing that with the consumer's desire to, you know, make sure that more care is being taken for the land. And, you know, the understanding of really what a farming operation is today is vastly different than, say, 20 years ago or certainly 100 years ago, where people were more connected to what farming is and, and food production in general. And so when we think about it in that context, that uh, sustainability from whether you're a consumer or you're a farmer and roll that into how IoT can start facilitating these things, uh, you've got a really, a really good story that's starting to unfold. Because those consumer-driven desires and demands for more sustainable 
direction of farming uh, is starting to come full circle and uh, in the form of different types of regulation. And so with this next generation of farming that utilizes great IoT technology, uh, I think it's always important to chat about budgets. Um, You know, farm budgets are always tight. And so where does paying for and implementing agricultural IoT products fit into that picture? Um, As a farmer, how do you balance upfront costs and investments with technology that could save in the long run, but you might not see those returns until a little later? Um, How have you seen the individual farmer, I guess, look at IoT technology and decide how to implement it? Yeah, another great question. And one of the benefits that whether it's a company like ours or, or otherwise you're providing a service or, or some kind of a, a product to a farmer, they've been in, in this scenario before where they've had the you know, challenge of do you invest in the newest uh, tractor or combine or, or what have you to the extent now where, you know, some of those pieces of equipment are upwards of 750000 a million dollars. And so they aren't they aren't scared off by, you know, a price tag of a few thousand dollars. The biggest thing for them is so long as you can show that there's a positive return on the investment through the lifetime of that equipment use, you've at least got their attention. And one of the biggest things that we've got with IoT is that, and it's a bit of a challenge today, but it is being overcome pretty quickly. And it's making sure that you're not just providing a farmer with some data, you know, raw data saying, um, this is the weather today, or this is what it was yesterday, for instance, or your field um, is deficient here and, and maybe not there. It's really what you can do with that and turning that data in f- into useful knowledge for that farmer and increase their ability to make good decisions. And so long as you can satisfy those needs and make it understandable for them, something that they can uh, get in and use rel- relatively quickly and easily, they're willing to make that investment. Right. And I'm glad you brought that up. How do you make it easy for the farmer to take this data and make actionable decisions off of it? Um, You know, I'm not sure what a traditional farmer is used to dealing with data wise, but I have a feeling that as IoT technology gets more comprehensive and you start getting very detailed uh, information on your crop yields, on um, how your soil is doing, weather information, uh, all of that combined, that must be definitely difficult to sift through and decide, you know, what should I do with this information? How do you move forward? So how do you make that accessible for the farmer? Some farmers really just want that that kind of raw output. They want to know what the information is because they know what's best for their farm. And I think that's something that as a service provider, we always have to keep in mind. And so what it really becomes is the ability to uh, put you know, layer upon layer of, of data that might have these different insights and give them what I call the so what factor. Uh, it's nice to know all sorts of different pieces of, of things that are going on on the farm, whether it's uh, weather related, fertility of the soil, etc. You know, it's another thing to say, uh, this is why you've got a yield that uh, beats your expectations, or this is why it didn't. And these are some of the different things that were different from years prior to that gave you a different result. And you start breaking it down for them into the different variables and pull them out and say, these are the things to look for, because in the future, if you act maybe differently, it'll turn out better or worse. 
those are the types of things that they're willing to pay for because that generates knowledge for them that they might not have been able to pull out themselves. And it just has everything to do with how many variables that they're dealing with in a cropping season year over year. So let's look into some of those actionable decisions that farmers can make once they do implement the data and it is easy to use. What would you say are some of the biggest decisions that you've seen farmers make once they get great sensor data um, and they can implement all that into an IoT framework? The more that we can start building resources and tools to be predictive and enable a farmer to really start to optimize whether it's, you know, how much uh, fertilizer or increase that soil fertility to be exact with micro macronutrients, or if we can be more proactive about treating for diseases and insects at earlier stages before they kind of get to a threshold where, you know, if you don't spray, you're in, in big, big trouble. Um, they can manage them more efficiently and usually with less inputs or even more benign ones, uh, perhaps. And I think that's where I'd like to see the technology get to kind of in a hurry, being able to provide those insights and good recommendations that can not only save ROI, but that's where you're going to really move that sustainability index, in my opinion, too. It has everything to do with uh, being able to be more predictive and proactive. And that's where I think IoT technology definitely sees its most tangible benefits. I mean, I don't think anyone wants to be using IoT technology in a reactive way because at that point, are you really utilizing the data to the best of its capability, right? Yeah, you've got it. And, and I'll tell you the truth. One of the nice things that I see here with IoT is it isn't just going to be information that's useful for the farmer, but that farmer is going to be able to take that information. And I'm sure that you take a look at traceability and tracking as well. And IoT is going to have a big impact on that because the farmer is going to want to know this for his own reasons, but that kind of data and information is also going to be highly useful for those food processors. And then the food processors can continue moving that down the value chain right to the, whether it's the, uh, the large Walmarts of the world or small grocers, you know, somebody that's trying to um, not just sort of put a stamp on, on a packaging, but say, you know, you take a look at this RFID code, this will give you sort of the full life cycle of where it's come from and the practices that they employed. And, and frankly, it'll be kind of driven by a, a proof claim. So now let's look at the future of IoT use in agriculture. I sort of brought it up briefly earlier, but you know, global population continues to increase and much of the population that's already here struggles to get food and agricultural production. I feel like we're always looking to push the limits of how how much can we do. So how should an industry like this adapt to carve a future that is friendly to the environment and compliant with changing government regulations and also utilizes technology like IoT to get ahead of the curve? I guess the easiest way to think about IoT in farming is not to dissociate it from how it's had an impact in everybody's day-to-day -day life because essentially it's not that different. And, you know, for me, I just think of how reliant I've almost become on, on, the, on the smartphone and, you know, everything that can start being encompassed, whether it's your calendar, your daily life, all your, you know, banking information, finance, your maps. 
I don't think it's going to be that different from a farming uh, standpoint. You know, right now the IoT of it all is is sort of shaping autonomous uh, mechanization. You know, uh, farmers that use sorry farming machinery that uses GPS to map out the field and 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 drive there. You've got robots that are picking fruit. You've got irrigation systems that are providing just enough uh, water to the crop to sort of be in an optimal, but not wasting anymore. Uh, we've got drones, we've got um, acquisitions to be able to put down, whether it's fertilizer or crop input sprays to really target, whether it's a weed or a pest. You know, all these things are uh, starting to get put together in a way that are going to make a farmer's operation seem a whole lot more like kind of running a, a corporation. You, you know, you're going to need almost a NASA looking a set of computer screens to track and trace everything and make sure it's all running smoothly. And that's before you've even, you know, got your crop off and started marketing it, which is a whole nother conversation about the applications of IoT, but it'll be all encompassing. It'll be everywhere. And, you know, it's obviously a movement that uh, I, I feel is it's almost unstoppable, but for all the right reasons. Right. And that's, what's so exciting about it in my opinion. So Thank you, Darcy, for coming on the podcast and giving us your insight on this. Um, I think we've already seen a lot of great strides in IoT and agriculture, but I think the future is really what's most exciting, especially with this mentality of keeping things ecologically friendly and finding ways to push agricultural production in an efficient way and you know, not put the farmers out to dry, not hurt the environment, You know, keeping all those things in mind. And I think technology like IoT is really going to be the driving factor in that innovation. So thanks, Darcy, for giving us your insight on this. You're very welcome, Daniel. Look forward to the next one. All right, everyone. Unfortunately, that does it for today's episode of the Market Scale Industrial IoT Podcast Show. And it's a real shame that it's already come to an end because I think this exploration of rural America and the impact that technology has on it oftentimes just doesn't see that much attention. And I'm not really sure why. It's the lifeblood of not only our country, but really the world. I mean, everyone needs to eat. We need stable growers, ranchers, farmers, people to keep that production steady. And if technology is going to help do that, well, then we need to encourage that technology to be accessible by all people in rural America. So hope you enjoyed this episode. It was definitely great sourcing these interviews and putting it together for y'all. And, you know, maybe you out there are actually someone that wants to comment on our show. I'd love to hear from you. Please shoot me an email at daniel.litwin at marketscale.com. Again, daniel.litwin, L-I-T-W-I-N, at marketscale.com. I'd love to get some insight from you. If you're a subject matter expert, if you are on the front lines working in IoT development, implementation, manufacturing, whatever it is, I'm sure you've got a story to tell. Let's hear it. So thanks again, everyone, for listening. And if you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, you can head to marketscale.com slash industries and subscribe to previous podcasts, articles, and video content from your favorite industries. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and make sure to leave a rating and a comment wherever you listen to your podcast content. Till next time, everyone.